Five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go. What's up, meeples, on today's show? It really is rocket science as we talk about Thunderbirds, the board game. We talk about how the game plays, all three expansions, what we like, what we dislike, and hopefully give you an idea if it's a game that you would like to play. Along with all your usual weekly news, Kickstarter campaigns and event information, this is the podcast for the Gaming Community. What's up guys, my name is Jason. And my name's Ian. And we are two game club organisers shooting the breeze about tabletop gaming. So stick the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's get on with this week's episode. And we're going to kick things off this week, I think, with uh, anything that has graced our welcome mats or tortured our bank accounts this week, followed by a quick rundown of any games that we've played, and then we'll end up with our main feature for the week, which, as you will know by now, is the Thunderbirds board game. But as I said, we'll start things off with games that we have purchased and had delivered. So, Ian, have you had anything that you've purchased or had delivered this week? Uh, I've not had anything delivered, but I have bought another Kickstarter. Oh, dear. I watch uh, an animator called Jaden Animations, who is part of a bigger group called The Odd Ones Out. They have come up with a food-fighting card game called Cafe Chaos, and I have undenied about this for a while. It finally got to the last day of the campaign, and I may have... Oh dear, that's you going to Kickstarter's Anonymous there, I think. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I think we're all part of that club. <laughs> Days since last Kickstarter, back down to zero. I've purchased a couple of things this month, to be honest. Uh, I've purchased a few more models for my Marvel Crisis Protocol game in Ghost Rider, Doctor Strange and Wong, and finally Ant-Man and Wasp. And are you sure that wasn't the wrong thing to do? It was indeed the right thing to do, yes. Uh, great uh, great sculpts on those those miniatures. Cannot wait to get them to the table. Um, I've also very recently purchased a couple more board games for my collection after a, a trip with my partner and my young son down to Worthing where we went down to uh, Ransacked Games. We played a couple of family-themed games down there, so I've, I've also invested in those games because my son enjoyed them. Uh, which was Frog Riders. Did you have a riveting good time? I did indeed have a riveting good time. And the other game I purchased was Cobra Claw. So I'm really looking forward to them turning up. And uh, I'll probably introduce you into those games as well. And I look forward to it. So moving on to the games that we've played this week. Other than obviously our feature game that we will be talking about momentarily. Have you managed to get any games of anything else in, in the past week, week and a half? I finally got two of my three um expansions to the table for marvel champions that's about time you've been trying to do that for ages i thoroughly enjoyed it i got to play as doctor strange and again because jason's gonna cringe i got to play wong it was totally the wong thing to do but hey let's see how many wong jokes he can cut out of this um (laughs) and um another of my friends tried the black widow expansion as well and we finally got thor to the table again which I tried on a solo game early in lockdown. Thor's not really geared to a solo game, so I was a bit put off. It was quite nice to see um, Thor come out and actually perform well under that game. And we all had like a different strategy that worked. I played a defensive um, strategy with Doctor Strange that seemed to work quite nicely and quite well. Thor went aggressive and Black Widow became the jack of all trades that just answered all of the tiny bits and pieces that needed covering. So it's a pretty thematic game that you played then, to be honest. Yeah, and we took down the claw. Nice, nice. Um, I have obviously played the games that I've uh, already covered, really, with uh, with my purchases. Um, so yeah, when I was down in Ransacked, we played a bit of Dobble, we played a bit of Frog Riders, and a bit of Cobra Paw. Uh, other than that, the main game that I've played in the past week is the one that we are going to be moving on to in a second. Indeed it is. Okay, so yeah, we're going to get on to our main feature pretty rapid uh, in this episode because we've got a lot to say about this game. It is one of our favourites. We've talked about it a couple of times here and there on a few of the podcasts now and it was time for you guys to hear our full rundown about this game. And of course we are talking about the cooperative game for Modifius. Thunderbirds. 
So this game was released back in 2015 to mark the 50th anniversary of the TV show. And the uh, the game designer of this game is in fact Matt Leacock of Pandemic fame. Everyone knows Pandemic, so therefore everyone knows a Matt Leacock game. The game is for one to four players, lasts for about 45 to 60 minutes. It's for ages 10 and up. It is a, sort of a medium complexity game, I would say. Probably a 2.5 out of 5. Yeah, it, it, it's fairly simple to understand. It's a little bit awkward to explain, but I'll give that a my go in a minute. Um, the difficulty curve, however varies from game to game much like pandemic does it we've had games that have ended very quickly and very badly we've also had some real nail biters that have gone on for some time but have been amazing yeah without a doubt um and those those nail biting games they are the best ones to play when it comes right down to the wire and it it could it's that one turn isn't it it's a it could either go really good and you win the game or it could go really bad and you lose this is a cooperative game it is. It involves a lot of area movement, dice rolling, pick up and deliver style game. So the basic pretense of this game, you have a world map. Um, on the world map, you, the bottom of it is Tracy Island where the Thunderbirds live. Um, along the very top, you also have a space track. And above that is your villain track for the hood and his schemes. The idea of the game is you have to work between you to control the Thunderbirds vehicles, to maintain a lower track of the disasters that are seen in all the different TV episodes. And with the rewards from those, you have to use those to defeat the Hood schemes along the top. If the Hood reaches his um, his scheme cards before you've gained the required items and vehicles and things to defeat that scheme, you lose. If all of the track along the bottom um, fills up with disasters that you haven't completed, you lose. Um, but if you can defeat all three of the hood schemes before he reaches them, you win the game. It sounds simple enough. Each disaster has a difficulty rating, a location of where the disaster is, and a type of and a type of the disaster. So, for example, all blue cards are air rescues. Each hero character that you pick at the start have a different set of abilities available to you. For example, my favourite and my favourite Thunderbird, Virgil Tracy. He is obviously green to match Thunderbird too. He, he gets a bonus for land rescues, and he also has a special ability while he's in Thunderbird 2 that allows him to gain particular tokens that you require for the game. To defeat a um, disaster card, you have to be in that location. That's all you need to have a crack at it. You get two dice that go up from 1 to 5 and have a hood symbol on them. If you roll the hood, he moves along the track. On each of these disaster cards, there are also bonuses for having particular vehicles, particular characters... And obviously the famous pod vehicles from the TV show as well that require being built and transported by Thunderbird 2. If you have those bonuses, you just take add that to your score after your dice rolls. For example, the in the sky trapped in the sky rescue is the iconic episode where they use the elevator cars to try and bring a plane down that has no landing gear. It's an eleven difficulty. It's done in it's done in Europe. It's an air rescue, but you gain bonuses if Fab 1 is in Europe, Thunderbird 1 is in Europe, and you have the elevator cars in Europe. With those bonuses, you actually can add 7 to your score of 11 before you've even started with all three of those vehicles there. And if Scott Tracy is doing it, he gains a bonus to air rescues, so suddenly it doesn't make these things too difficult to do. But trying to get all of these vehicles in those places is can be quite difficult. And that is in undoubtedly where the cooperative aspect of this comes in. Obviously, when it's your turn, you have the ability to move any vehicle around as long as you're piloting it with your character. Each vehicle has a speed and a number of spaces that can fit characters in them. For example, Thunderbird 1 can cover any land-based square on the entire map, which wraps round. The world's not flat, people. And um, Thunderbird 1 can carry two characters. So if you want a benefit, you can take non-used characters uh, around with you. But if Jason took Thunderbird 1 out and took another character with him, I wouldn't then be able to randomly pilot that without being in it. Uh, Thunderbird 3 is the only exception to all of this, is Thunderbird 3 can only go along its own personal space track along the top of the board. There are rescues, obviously, that require being done in select spaces on, in space, such as the moon, the sun, Mars, an asteroid belt, etc. So it's real niche in trying to work out which characters you've got to take where, not knowing what disasters are going to come up at the end of your turn. Every turn you draw a new disaster card, it will either be another one that will push everything and add along the, to the track at the bottom, 
or you gain a hood advances card, which moves the hood closer to you losing the game. Yep, and that is the basic premise of the base game of Thunderbirds. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move on to talking about the components that come in the base game itself. We're not going to be touching on the expansions just yet. We will bring those up a bit later. Firstly, I'd like to talk about the box. There are two boxes for this um, this game. There was a Kickstarter exclusive box, which both me and Jason own. It is absolutely stunning. I'm really thoroughly impressed. It's a custom piece of artwork covering all of the machines, and it just looks amazing. But even the bog standard box, the artwork on it is really nice. This box stands out on a shelf from anywhere. And you can even, you know, you've even got plenty of choice on which side of the box you show off to people because the custom artwork is all over. Indeed, yeah. The artwork on this box is absolutely stunning. And to be fair, the artwork on the um, standard retail version is also nice, but it just doesn't have the elegance, if you like, and the classic artwork style of the Kickstarter box there. So I was so happy that I managed to get a Kickstarter version of this even after the Kickstarter had finished. So, what actually comes inside the box? Well, there's a fair amount in here, and considering the price of this game, we found it selling for anywhere between £40 to £60, depending on where you purchase the game from. But if you look around, you probably pick it up for somewhere in the region of 35 to 40 So, yeah, the amount of components you get in this game for that kind of money is fantastic. Just to give you a rundown of what comes in the game, we're going to start with the biggest component, and that is the game board itself. Really good quality um, game board with the, the wraparound artwork so that it protects the sides of the board a bit better. Um, to give you a rough idea of what it looks like, you have a world map set out in front of you. You've got a big Tracy Island right at the bottom of the map, and then all the continents all sectioned off throughout the rest of the board the top of the board is where your space theme space themed area will be that's also where you will find thunderbird 5 the bottom of the board gives you a lovely large area for tracy island itself so you can store the ships on there without any problem and a little section for the pod vehicles called brains notebook where you get tokens in the base game that you flip over once you have built those pod vehicles and you use the tokens to transport them around the map Indeed, and that segues nicely on to those exact tokens that you get in the game. The tokens that Ian was talking about there for the pod vehicles, you actually get 10 of those within the game, as well as 30 bonus chips. The bonus chips are used throughout the game to get you, ironically, different bonuses. And again, swings nicely onto the actual miniatures of the Thunderbirds craft. Really detailed, very impressed. They do give you transfers for the numbers. They paint well. You know, I think most of us have now got at least one set of the miniatures painted. Um, and my absolute favourite is Thunderbird 2 comes with a removable top so that when you're transporting the pod vehicles, you can actually show they're on the ship easy enough. They fit the tokens. And again, spoiler alert, there are miniatures available with the expansions. We'll come to that later. But they fit nicely in that little section on top. That they do indeed. Sticking with the miniatures theme, you actually get a little hood miniature to go along the top of the board as he completes his various schemes throughout the game. That's a quite a nice little detailed miniature. Again, it just screams to be painted. It's one of the few that are in my game that haven't been painted yet. I have uh, attacked the Thunderbirds crafts themselves. They are all painted. Moving on from the hood, you move on to your actual player characters. Now, you don't actually get character miniatures uh, in this game. They are actually pegs. And the reason they're pegs is because you can actually slot them into the various craft that you will be piloting, which is a really nice touch. Basically, they're torsos of the characters that you are playing, and they are nicely detailed. Again, if you really want to paint them, they will take paint really well. And last but not least, you have the um, dice which are lovely coloured, lovely detailed. My only grope with them is my grope with a lot of board games is they are quite square, so they don't roll particularly well. But I love the fact each of the numbers is coloured in theme of the Thunderbird craft that they represent. A lot of attention to detail went into those, I think. And I suppose these, these are deemed as components as well. You've then got your card stock, which is where you draw your missions from. You get your, you get your disaster cards, your character cards... There is a very large amount of cardstock in this game. Just to give you a very quick rundown, you've got 47 disaster cards, 18 fab cards, 12 event cards, 20 scheme cards, 4 reference cards, an international rescue ID card, 
and then your six character cards. That's all the components that come in the base box. So what do we feel about the quality of these? Uh, we've obviously already touched upon the game board itself being really nice quality, nice and sturdy. It's another one of those games you can tell will stand up to a lot of, uh, a lot of punishment because this sees the table for us very, very regularly. I just think the whole game has very high-end quality for, for what it is. I've been thoroughly impressed since day one. The detail in a lot of the stuff for you know for a board game is really really good, and no no gripes really at all other than the one I've already said. No, I think I would completely agree with that. The card stock is is pretty it's pretty standard. It's not like oh my god I've got to you know scream for joy that it's amazing, but it's also not bad. It's very standardized, uh, standard sized cards. So again, one of our favorite things is to sleeve these games. So sleeves are going to be very easy to come by for these. I would definitely recommend with this particular game going for the clear sleeves because the card backs are really nice and they sit nicely on the board and make it very easy for people to see which cards they are picking up. Let's move on to the gameplay. How do we like the gameplay of this game? How well does it run? What do we like? What do we dislike? I mean, we've covered on this slightly. It is a... Technically, a clone of Pandemic. There's enough differences in this game, I think, to warrant this a place in people's collections, even if they own Pandemic. I, I happily would own both. Pandemic's still on my list to buy, but I thoroughly enjoy this game. There's, it's so simple, but so difficult in equal measures. You can go from really thinking you're on top of the game and within two turns suddenly feel like you're about to lose and you're on that edge of that knife, really sort of wondering what's going to happen i mean i remember a game that we played very recently uh of this was we, we had really bad luck with the draws of the events and two turns in a row we got a hood advances card and then the following player's turn and he was rolling his dice and he got two hood advances as well so in the space of literally one turn the hood had advanced four spaces which means he'd achieved one of his schemes luckily we had actually completed that scheme so we didn't lose the game. Yeah, we have had instances of this game. So just one thing I never covered earlier, the disaster deck that you draw from is split into quarters. So it is in theoretically possible to actually draw four hood advance cards in a row, but you can't draw all eight. Um, they are, you put two hood advance cards into each quarter of the deck, shuffle each of those quarters and then stack them on top of each other. Yeah. We have had a game, and unfortunately it was when I was trying to, to demo this to someone where we really got the game handed it to us and beat us very very quickly because we just couldn't get the hood advanced at 90 miles an hour and we couldn't control him and the missions going along the track along the bottom um but then i've also had games where we've won quite convincingly easily where we overmanaged everything we're really lucky with the tokens we got on the missions we got and our dice rolls you know so it's just to sort of explain that there is a, a large there's an element of luck in some of this but there's also a large window of um how well or badly this game can go but i think that's a good thing you know you never know what to expect with this game and it can change on a dime it is a very strategic game and it does really force you to work as a team um, which is great because it really embodies the whole international rescue team so very thematic um, it's really nice for the cards it, having the um, screenshots essentially from the original tv series i absolutely love that yeah because it really reminds me of what i was when i was watching it as a kid and then it makes me want to watch those episodes as well as i said the example i used right at the start of this was really to try and jog people's memories some of these those episode tv episodes were so iconic and they've included as much of that as they can in this game there's even one of the disaster cards of the tiny baby crocodile they used you know the real crocodile they used in one of the episodes which is hilarious oh yes um, really, for me, the game does does Thunderbirds TV show real justice. And the fact that this was released as an the 50th anniversary, nonetheless, of the TV series, it really did do it justice. I can't say enough good things about the game. I really struggled to find anything negative to say about this game. However, one thing that you could deem as being possibly negative now, and it's something that we discussed before we went live here today, which was... We now find it very, very difficult to play this game without at least including at least one of the three expansions for this game. 
So we're going to talk about those expansions now and why it is exactly we like those to be included in the game. So I was very lucky, well, as, as with Jason, getting the Kickstarter equivalent of this game, we got all the expansions bundled together. So we haven't had to go hunting these out. These range, I think, from like 15 to 25 quid each, roughly. And I'm going to start with the one I think is the most key, and that is the Tracy Island expansion. This, they all seem to give a similar amount of content, a similar amount of miniatures, but this is the one that has the content, I think, that makes the biggest impact on the game. So, the components that come in with this, you get a new disaster deck, completely new disaster deck. It contains all 47 of the original disaster cards, but brings it up to a total of 56. It updates them with different pod vehicles and different mechanics for different expansions you can later add to the game. You also get a few extra events and fab cards. You get three brand new characters of Brains, Tintin and Parker, four new pod vehicles and miniatures for all 14 now total pod vehicles and these miniatures are stunning. And you also get a miniature for Tracy Island to store your characters who aren't actually out and about on their rescues. You get the Ladybird Jet that was famously um, related to Tintin. And you also get one of our favourites is Fab 2, which is Parker's boat. Indeed, and I love that expansion more than any other because Parker is actually one of the playable characters that comes in that game. And to be honest, all joking aside, he is actually a very powerful character you know, with his special abilities of being able to move Fab 1 or 2, uh, even though he's not piloting them, is amazing. Yeah, um, they bring a lot to the game. The extra disaster cards is always nice. It brings more. The extra pod vehicles with the miniatures is just absolutely stunning. And the two new vehicles, the Ladybird Jet's not used too much unless it has to be. It's like a subpar Thunderbird one. But as Jason said, Fab 2 is relentlessly used as another way to cart either pod vehicle. It allows you to move either one pod vehicle or Thunderbird 4 or Fab 1, which is the um, uh, Lady Penelope's car. One thing we never pointed out earlier, the only way to move pod vehicles or Thunderbird 4 when it's not moving one space at a time on its own, and same with Fab 1, is via Thunderbird 2. So bringing in a boat that can move at least one pod vehicle at a time suddenly opens up extra opportunities, especially for a four-player game. I completely agree with you. This is the number one expansion. If you're going to play this game, I couldn't recommend highly enough that you at least try and get the Tracy Island expansion. It is actually the hardest expansion to currently come by, um, but I think that's mainly because of the fact that you get the miniatures. I think we just kind of covered why it, it, it just changes enough of the game without really changing the rules of the game. So, yeah, I'm thoroughly impressed. That's, that's my favourite, and I think Jason's favourite, of the expansions. So moving on to the second expansion that we're going to cover here today, and this is the next one that we would recommend after Tracy Island, which is actually called Above and Beyond. We've played about, well, we play with about 50% of this expansion on a regular basis. We've dabbled in the other bits, but not quite advanced too far into this yet. The components that come with this one that add to the game, you get uh, 10 extra disaster vehicle cards. So these are on some of the um, distinct mission episodes, um, disaster cards. You get the option. There is actually a little name in the red um, television-styled box of the image of that episode of each of those 10 disaster vehicles throughout that deck. So 10 of the 56 cards will have that on them. This now adds another element into the game where instead of taking the token rewards that are on the bottom of that mission, you may now take a disaster vehicle instead with its beautiful miniature. And these give you either ongoing options or a one-time use thing but are quite often really good abilities to make you consider whether you want those tokens or not yeah definitely um so that that the first thing first thing on the list and it's already changed the game for the for the better to be yep. honest um so they're carrying on you get another two fab cards you get another two event cards the next one that we're going to cover here is a massive one, and this is one that we do use all the time in all of our games, just to make things that little bit harder in a game that really doesn't need to be made harder. <laughs> and that is the inclusion of five level five scheme cards. Now, before this, you top out at a level four scheme card. What does that level five bring to the game, Ian? So normally you, you have three schemes that you have to beat throughout the game. They're positioned evenly across the hoods track along the top. If you want to begin a game, you just start levels one, two, and three. And I said we had, up, as Jason just said, we had up to level four as options. So you could, the hardest we could make it was level two, a level three, and a level four. To give you a rough idea, like schemes require X amount of tokens to be on one location, 
and pod vehicles to be on another or different amounts of different tokens. Bear in mind you're not allowed to trade tokens between players without specific cards that allow you to do so. It's quite difficult when you realize you've got say three orange tokens but they're between three players and then you need one of those players to be on another space to actually get something else going it makes it quite difficult anyway to give you a idea how nuts the level five ones go the one it demos on the front of the um rule book here requires on the moon so it's a space track as well two blue and two orange tokens one of each of the other tokens to be in the indian ocean so that's another three tokens different types as well as two pod vehicles to be in asia you know, you've got to build two of those pod vehicles by that point at the end of the game and have a ridiculous amount of tokens all in the correct places. It's not an easy feat to do whilst managing missions as well. Yeah, completely agree with that one. That is definitely one that we would only include in the game if it's a bunch of people that have played this game plenty of times and know what they're doing. Yeah, veterans required. Veterans required indeed for that one. You also get 18 new character cards with this expansion. So what this brings to the table is you now have leveling up characters as an option. So whereas the base game, each character and, you know, any base character card that you use, each character has two static abilities throughout the entire game. As I mentioned earlier, Virgil gets a bonus to land land rescues and he has an option to gain tokens of the, the green, gain of green tokens whilst on Thunderbird 2. What you can now do is as rescues are completed, you gain experience. And as you gain experience, you can level up those characters. So Virgil might only start with the bonus to rare rescues. He'll then gain his token ability and then another ability on top of that. But it means it makes the game even harder because you don't have all the options available to you at the start of the game. Yeah. So, awesome. (laughs) Moving on from that, you get 10 new disaster vehicle models, which in touched upon a little bit earlier. You also get a brand new player turn marker in the form of a Jeff Tracy miniature. Then we've got two more sections of the component list which we're going to cover. The first of which is a sand timer. Now why on earth would we need a sand timer in this game? This expansion brings you the options to make the actual game play more difficult. You've got an option called crisis mode. And part of crisis mode has the option where you are not allowed to discuss... um, strategy or do any sort of actions on what people should be doing unless the timer is running on your turn and if you run out of time you run out of turn and that's like making a hard game and giving it some steroids of hardness (laughs) and again you can even spend your hard-earned tokens to extend that sand timer but yeah that again something we haven't had a chance to try yet it's on our to-do list because that looks fun yeah without a doubt (laughs) without a doubt i'm i'm not usually a fan of uh timed games but that is one that i do definitely want to try now this is another one that definitely intrigues me and that is the inclusion of blank cards in the game you get 10 blank cards five disaster two events two fab and one level six scheme for you to create your own nastiness your own disasters world ending designed to destroy the thunderbird type of events We've not tried this yet, but my God, is it high on our list to try. Yep. And that also segues nicely onto the final expansion. And again, this is one we haven't really had the opportunity to give much of a go at yet. I have done it once. Unfortunately, I did this on a game that I think we'd have lost even without this expansion. But this expansion is just called The Hood. And what it does is it turns this four-player game into a five-player game where someone can play as the hood and screw you all over. I mean, this definitely sounds like a game I need to try because we all know at this point I love to play as the bad guy whenever possible. So I'm interested in this. The hood has the... You replace like the schemes and the events with stuff that the hood can do instead. And he can travel around the board trying to steal all the Thunderbirds and ruin all of the um, disasters. Nice. The one time we tried this, shout out to Malekith again, he played as the Hood. And as I said, I think we, it was one of these particular games of Thunderbirds where the board had already decided we'd lost before we even sat down. So adding in a player that can go and ruin your day even on top of that wasn't the most helpful thing I've ever had. <laughs> Good on you, Malekith, a man after my own heart. <laughs> we'll talk the components that come in the, in this expansion. As we said, we are not super versed in, uh, in this expansion exactly. 
itself but we we obviously do own it and it is something we are going to try and bring to the table a bit more so the components just to run you through you get an extra character card which you probably guessed it is the hood you get six new fab cards six event cards three scheme cards five reference cards 32 scheme tokens one speed reference overlay obviously in this one it does change a few things there's a few extra components there's two extra vehicles for the hood to use and we get speeds for those as well and moving on to those you get those two new models to to replicate those uh those vehicles we get a plane it's a nice little biplane looks like a cessna (laughs) you also get a new uh, character torso peg so that you can move your your hood character around the board stealing the thunderbirds you get eight hood agent models the hood's layer model you also get a little miniature of lady penelope's house creighton ward manor model and by far the best component of the game because it's so tacky just to follow the original thunderbirds is you get a classic camera cardboard token and really really cool little film cells of each of the four thunderbirds which is what he uses to steal them that is by far the best thing in this entire expansion, I think. Just because it is so classic, so cheesy, perfection. So this looks like a really good expansion. Again, we, we don't have too much to say on it because we haven't really had the opportunity to try it very much. Normally when we're teaching the game, you don't want to be jumping in with someone ruining the game for everyone else anyway on top. And there's a lot of rules to learn on how the hood plays because he can plays completely differently to all of the other Thunderbirds characters. And on top of that, I personally am a huge co-op game fan. So having a fifth person just there on their own trying to ruin your co-op plan, I find incredibly difficult sometimes. So it's just one that hasn't been a high on my priority list to bring to the table. And, you know, it's not something easy to just jump in and teach people whilst trying to learn the base game itself. Yeah, I do agree with that completely. Um, so that is our, it, as as amazing as that expansion really is, that is definitely our least recommended expansion for this game. There is one final expansion that we both own for this, but neither of us have the opportunity to bring to the table yet. We both got it over Christmas. We never had the chance to actually dive in and give it a go. And you do require the base game to play it because it uses the map and the miniatures all for it. But there is a role-playing version of this game as well. And I am really itching to give this a go. It's just a childhood dream for me. I was obsessed with the Thunderbirds as a child. As um. Anyone who's known me long enough will know. And I'm sure somewhere in a deep, dark place at home, I actually had a Thunderbirds outfit as a child. I had I a Virgil Tracy one. definitely, definitely had a Thunderbird. I think I had multiple Thunderbirds outfits, to be fair. Ironically, I found the hat of it in the loft when we were sorting out the stuff. <laughs> it doesn't fit, funny enough. <laughs> so that's it for the expansions. Um, now we're going to just cover very quickly about what it is we love about these expansions because it is a case of love and the fact that we now find it very difficult to play the original base game without the expansions. What exactly do we use? What exactly we don't use? And why? I found this quite a lot with games like this where you get multiple expansions coming out. You tend to pick little bits out of each one that you you just feel like you can't live without. They bring something massive to the game. As I said, I can't think of anything really out of Tracy Island that we don't use. Um, the whole expansion is just amazing from start to finish. And as I said, above and beyond, we seem to use about 50% of it. It's only the leveling up characters we haven't really tried in the make your own stuff um, or crisis mode, which sounds insane, but fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think like the hood we just haven't had the opportunities yet to actually give it a crack and maybe we should at some point I, I mean, suppose... mo- most of the stuff that comes in the hood expansion isn't really for unless you're doing unless you've got the fifth player yeah, it's that it really en- is a fifth player expansion yeah. it is to enable someone to play as the hood every component in this is only if there's a hood player um, unless you really wanted to put the Crichton Ward Manor on the, in Europe just because well um, let's be honest we probably would don't know what you're talking about <laughs> But yeah, um, the reason I don't think I could play without the expansions, though, is it just brings so much variation in the game. Taking the playable characters up to nine, as well as requiring all nine characters to be around the board, it suddenly makes things that little bit more difficult. Having the extra pod vehicles makes things a little bit more of a challenge. Having the miniatures for these things just makes the game look so much nicer. Games always look amazing the more sort of component, you know, really nice components that you have out on the table, I feel. 
and the replayability is just kicked up a notch with the expansions because you can make it go the difficulty curve go all over the place a good example is we mentioned how nuts the level five schemes are you could go one two five if you wanted to and just race through the first two thinking this is a walk in the park and then run into the brick wall that is the level five scheme you've added on the end of it all so yeah for me the um the expansions are, are an absolute must when we're playing this game just purely because I, I love having the extra miniatures there as i alluded to earlier i I love playing as Parker. Although you're playing a Thunderbirds game, it doesn't mean you have to play as a Thunderbird. You know, I I feel that Parker actually brings a lot to the table. As I said earlier, the ability to move vehicles without even being in them is phenomenal in this game. The other nice thing about this game is it's still canon for this, but you don't have to be the particular Tracy brother to move the particular Thunderbird craft, which is quite nice. You know, people see like Virgil Tracy is always the pilot for Thunderbird 2. He gets a huge amount of bonuses for doing that. But there's nothing to stop him jumping in Thunderbird 4 and diving to the depths of the sea. Yeah, you know, it's um, and that's what I like about this game. That's actually portrayed in both the classic and the more recent Thunderbirds sometimes as like, we need a particular craft, but someone else is already out on a mission. So sod it jump in that and we'll go for it you know we go we, we've got to do this you know we've got no one else to turn to yeah you may not be the most well trained in that particular uh vehicle but there's nothing saying you can't fly it so you know all of these international rescue um family are all well versed in their own vehicles they have their specialities but they can all pilot anything unless of course you're stuck on thunderbird 5 probably one of the negatives i have from this game is in the base game, one of the options is um, John Tracy, who is famous for being the main Tracy brother to sit in Thunderbird 5. We have actually, early on, especially when you're teaching someone house ruled, if no one's playing as um, Alan Tracy and not required up for the space missions, John has some really amazing abilities while he's in Thunderbird 5, but he can't complete any rescues unless they're in geostationary orbit while he's stuck there. We ended up having to house rule being able to call up Thunderbird 3 because I I sat there in one of my early games as John Tracy and we lost because I think it was like a two or three player game where I was sitting there not feeling like I'm doing much of anything to help anyone. He's got some really good abilities for managing the disaster track, but he can't then clear them. So It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty hard because obviously he will always start the game on Thunderbird 5 and until someone comes up, in Thunderbird 3, you could have no space missions, which you could be sat there for four turns doing absolutely nothing. I will stress it's not quite nothing because his abilities for being on Thunderbird 5 are almost broken. But it's the moment you pull him off of there, he loses a lot of his bonuses and just genuinely trying to get him off of there. Someone's stuck in space at all times. So it's the swings and roundabouts. It's just not a good character to learn the game with. No, but as we said, he has his strengths, uh, as do all of the other characters. It's well worth sitting down before you play the game and actually reading all the character cards and figuring out what character plays to your gaming style best. And not just doing what I do and go, I want to play Virgil. He literally does do that every time. (laughs) If people give me the choice. (laughs) He doesn't usually give other people the choice. He's already called it before he's even opened the box. That card just lives in a sleeve in my wallet. (laughs) And a miniature. So guys, that is the Thunderbirds board game from Mordiphius. Have you played this game? Is it a game that interests you? Is it a game that you would like to play? We can, of course, bring this along to any one of the events that we attend. More than happy to do so. More than happy to play this game over and over and over again. It is definitely one of our favourites. I've just heard from John Tracy. We've got another disaster underway. Over to our own villain in the news shed. Over to you, Paul. Well, Thunderbirds, not my favourite work by Jerry Anderson. That goes to Terrorhawks, although that evil Zelda still gives me the willies. Although, I suppose we're all puppets, really, aren't we? Do this, do that, get back in the shed, write the news, stop trying to escape. The strings on your hands and feet are for your protection. Why, yes, my ladies. Although, I did have a go at building Blue Peter and the Eternals Tracy Island once, although, admittedly, it did look more like a paper mache dung pile with a couple of butter tubs stuck on the top. What was I doing? Oh yeah, the news. Magic the Gathering maker Wizards of the Coast has released some rare new figures on the card game's audience, revealing the recent growth of one of Magic the Gathering's most popular formats, Commander. 
According to Wizards of the Coast, the number of people playing Commander in stores belonging to its own play network of retailers tripled from 9,000 in 2018 to over 28,000 in February 2020, before this sodding Covid kicked in. The latest figures mark one of the few times Wizards of the Coast has cast a light on the current state of Magic the Gathering's audience. Its last major info dump about the trading game's popularity was its 25th anniversary in 2018, when it revealed that Magic the Gathering had more than 35 million players worldwide, a figure that's likely to have risen in the wake of Magic the Gathering Arena's free-to-play release on PC. Originally devised as a fan-made variant of Magic the Gathering known as EDH, Commander has since seen official support from Wizards of the Coast in the form of events and releases, and next month we'll see the release of the first full set designed for the format, Commander Legends, followed by a reprint collection, Commander Collection Green, in early December. What was once an April Fool's has now turned into a real scenario pack for the Arkham Horror LCG. Originally announced as an elaborate April Fool's joke last year, Barkham Horror, based on the Arkham Horror living card game, that sees players working together to save the world from any number of nightmarish cosmic horrors, but switches its human roster of investigators for canine characters, and the cultists for an evil cabal of cats and the feline monstrosities that they worship. Shots of the then-fake game featured familiar investigators from the Arkham Horror universe with their heads switched for good boys, along with a litany of puns and in-jokes. Meanwhile, the cats were transformed into terrifying monsters, including the cat constrictor and an eight-legged arachnocat. A scenario pack for Arkham Horror the card game Barkham Horror, the meddling of Meowthalotep, is a standalone adventure that sees five of our wacky-tailed friends race to stop the titular Moggy Monster, play on the Cthulhu Mythos mainstay from destroying the world. While cards from the Arkham Horror LCG can be used to build decks for use in the scenario, no human investigators can be used and the pack is deliberately made to be played detached from any ongoing campaigns. Like their human counterparts, each of the investigators has unique traits, items and abilities. According to Fantasy Flight, a number of the animals in the game were based on the designer's own pets. Barkham Horror, the meddling of Meathalotep, is out now and will cost you about £20. And we're heading over to Kickstarter now, and let's mix this up a bit. This week's Kickstarters, although all out within two days, take exploration in different directions. And we're going to start with Airships North Pole Quest, out on the 29th of September for 1-6 to six players, and takes 60-80 to 80 minutes. This game takes us back to 1924 in the golden years of Airships, when nations started aiming for the Arctic, the last frontier, and for its symbol, the North Pole. Being the first was not only a matter of prestige, but also of great opportunities. Strategic exploration, lands to be annexed, trade routes to be opened. Beautiful and highly detailed airship models, plus abstracted navigational and flying tools are the hands-on parts of the game, while cards and changing weather will continually deal players new challenges. The game's not just a start at point A and fly to North Pole. The expeditions for fundraising and publicity allow players to better equip their team to make the journey longer and to hire specialists for the crew members who have distinct abilities to give them extra support. Weather, as always, plays a key role and a clever device keeps the weather changing in realistic patterns. Players must factor the current weather and what is anticipated as they make choices of actions and route. Airships can be damaged and this costs time and money to repair. Apogee, out on the 30th of September for 1-5 to five players, taking 45-60 to 60 minutes. Do you fancy having a go at being Elon Musk and SpaceX? Because Space Conquest is no longer served as the sole political motivation. For several decades, private spaceflight industry has emerged, operating independently of governments, to develop spaceflight faster and cheaper and meet commercial challenges for the new movement into space. And it's in these shoes of the CEO that you're going to develop your own rocket and maybe win this new age of space entrepreneurship. Several tasks still await you, recruit engineers, develop technologies and build your rocket in the hope to launch this mass of several tons over 100 kilometers from the ground to beyond Earth's atmosphere. 
Conquering the sky will require time, careful management by your engineers and the funds invested in your project. You will also have to keep an eye on your opponents who will do anything to achieve this feat before you. Apogee is a management card game with an emphasis on fluidity and interaction between players. All participants are always in action and focused on the game's progress. And lastly we have Big Monster and it's also out on the 29th of September and it's for 2-6 to six players taking 20-30 to 30 minutes. You're an explorer, funnily enough, who has been travelling through space looking for new planets for its federation and you have just discovered one not yet indexed. This is an opportunity to identify new creatures, discover rare resources and fulfil intergalactic missions. This is the challenge you are facing, earn the most victory points in order to make your own exploration successful. Big Monster is a smart drafting and tile laying game that's played in two rounds. On a turn, each player simultaneously chooses a tile from their hand, places it face down in front of them, then immediately gives the remaining tiles to another player of their choice, who hasn't already been given tiles. That is what is defined as smart drafting. At the end of the game, each player owns 18 tiles in their exploration space you earn victory points by finding monsters, completing crystals and achieving missions. The player with the most victory points at the end of the second round wins. Big Monster can also be played in teams and when doing so the score of each team is the score of the team member with the fewest victory points. Big Monster is also a two player game and when doing so you do not use Smart Draft. There is a special rule for two players. Right, and we're going over to what's becoming a longer section now, and that's our events. Well, the chaps kept me on a short leash when I was allowed out to attend last week's gaming at the comic shop. Admittedly, we were a little low on numbers, but that meant we formed our own bubble and could get down to some proper gaming amongst the wonders that were on sale at the comic shop. Thankful in the fact I only brought my cash and left my bank cards at home. Architects of the West Kingdom saw the tables. I went head to head to build and satisfy the needs of the town as the most triumphant architect. I followed this with what can only be described as the shortest game of Harry Potter, Death Eaters Rising, I've ever experienced. A four player game with me being player four as Hermione. I got injured three times before I got to take my one and only turn, only to be killed on player three's turn as it came back round the board. What can I say? Nothing. We ended the night commentating amongst ourselves on the PlayStation 5 showcase. We had a thoroughly great evening with a great company, thanks to Jason, Ian and the comic shop team for keeping the doors open for us. Admittedly, you wouldn't have much stock left if you'd left us locked in. Fantastic stuff up there in the comic shop. Uh, gaming at the comic shop Crawley continues weekly on Wednesdays between 6 and 10. And that's at the comic shop, 42 High Street in Crawley, RH10 1BW. And at £3 a head, with refreshments available on site. Now, what those two don't know is that I've been carving a huge hole behind my Gloomhaven box and managed to also pop out to see Dave and the group over in Lewis at the Lewis Board Gamers and Trinity Gaming Cafe last week. What can I say? The place is fantastic and ideal for what we need at the moment. Plenty of space and tables for gaming, great selection of board games to play and big tables for those needing a good 40k fix and all with covid secure precautions in place i managed to pull off a win against dave with beautifully designed and artwork game everdale still don't know how this was followed by me getting my behind handed to me with my first playthrough of marvel villainous as dave managed to take ultron to his true form as i was still fanning in around trying to pick up all the infinity stones as thanos Okay, we did get a few rules wrong, but with our first run at the game, and indeed both of us at a villainous title, we both agreed how good the game was and how accurate it lends to the different characters' objectives. One I'm hoping to get back to the table very soon. Monks of Gaming, I had a good chat with Dave regarding his background in gaming and indeed how he sees gaming helping everyone, especially those with mental and social anxieties, find a place where we can distract ourselves from our everyday lives. So like us here at Crawley Gaming Community, Mid-Sussex Meeples and I suppose all the other gaming groups in the area, we all share the same passion for our hobby and encourage everyone, no matter your experience or mental state, that with us you can and indeed will find a place to relax and enjoy yourselves. Again, Lewis Board Gamers and Trinity Gaming Cafe runs weekly and its next meeting on the 1st of October between half past 7 and half past 11 is at the Trinity Church, Arbinger Place, Lewis, BN7, 
2QA and are just £3 a head with snacks and drinks available to purchase on site. Sunday the 20th saw me escape yet again, only to be caught by Jason when he showed up at my gaming day with Mid-Sussex Meeples. I personally like to thank all those that braved the precautions in place to come down and join me for the day of gaming. It was great to see lots of friendly faces that I had to fight the urge to hug as they came through the door. We even had a new face too, which goes to show the word is still seeping out. Plenty of games played, managed to teach Scythe to a couple of the Worthing board gamers crew, before thoroughly handing them their bottoms with a double hit of Architects of the West Kingdom with my recently acquired Age of Artisans expansion. It certainly made the game a lot more interesting and one I'd certainly keep in the future plays. Did get a few photos of other games being played around the room, with the likes of Ascension, Netatanka, Cobra Paw, and even <coughs> Monopoly deal card game, which I was surprised about, to be honest. Again, thanks to everyone who attended, to those that helped set up and pull down, and I will hopefully see you all, and more, at our next event on Saturday, 17th of October, back here in Burgess Hill. That's not to say you have to wait until then for a good old day of gaming as our friends at Surrey Board Gaming Group have had the go-ahead at the moment for their day on the 4th of October up in Rygate. It takes place between half past 10 and half past 5 at the Sue Bud Hall in Allingham Road in Rygate with a postcode for your Pratnavs being RH28HX. That's RH28HX. Abby, the organiser, I'm sure is gearing up excitingly to welcome back people as I was last Sunday. Entrance, as ours, is £5 per person, inclusive of tea, coffee and biscuits. And with a co-op just two doors away for any last-minute snacks or lunch, you're well taken care of. That's all me from the shed this week, and I shall look forward to talking to you again next week. Have fun, meeples. Thanks for that, Paul. Great to hear the news. And uh, next time, please don't have the hood over. We, it's really hard for us to, you know, try and cover up all of these disasters that you keep creating everywhere. That's all from us this week, guys. We are going to close it off there. Unless, Ian, have you got anything else you want to say to the lovely listeners of this wonderful podcast? To quote Jeff Tracy, at all times, remember the code of international rescue. Never give in at any cost. Never give in at any cost, indeed. If you have enjoyed what you have listened to, here today guys please do give us a review on whatever podcast service you have heard this on like share subscribe all that goodness you can find us on our youtube channel as well if you would like to talk to us contact us in any way you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter by searching for the podcast with cruelty gaming community or you can email us at cruelty gaming community at gmail.com we still have the discord server going um, for as long as we're not able to have the groups up and running, we will try to keep the Monday nights up and running as well. Come meet us, come have a laugh. It's always good fun. That's right, Ian. It's always good to have those digital events. It's always good to keep connected with the people that are out there. Obviously, trying times at the minute. We are starting to see each other a bit more, but you know we have to be safe. If some people don't feel safe, some people can still connect with us digitally. So always great to have that. But we are going to call it there, guys. We hope you have enjoyed what you've listened to here today. And we will see you all next week. Game safe. Bye-bye. F-A-B. Bye.